Calvary Chapel, Mason City. Today, 2 Peter 1, 12 through 21. So last time we began uh, 2 Peter, and it's written to believers that are facing harm and mistreatment for their faith and dealing with persecution. They've been dispersed around Asia Minor. The Apostle Peter writes to them uh, in 1 Peter to tell them to look at heaven, to keep that in mind, to be good Christian citizens, even in a land where the government's pagan and everything else, just keep your eyes on heaven, you know, and your inheritance. Now, 2 Peter is written to warn them about false teaching that'll come into the church and, you know, to equip them to resist it, to stand against it. He started out last time uh, telling them that they need to grow in maturity, that the Christian life starts with the basics of faith, but you're to add to it virtue and virtue knowledge and knowledge, brotherly kindness and love and all of these things. And the, the end of that is to become a sacrificially loving, agape giving Christian. And so he encourages them. That fits the larger context is if you're going to stand against false teaching, you have to become mature in your faith. You have to keep growing in your faith and, and mature. That's going to keep you to resist. You know, that's going to help you stand against false prophets, false teachers. Now, this time, he talks to them about the necessity of the word of God in the life of the believer. Second Peter chapter 2. Chapter one, ha <laughs> ha, you hear like, that's the wrong chapter. Second Peter chapter one, verse 12. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yet I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased." And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation for prophecy never came by the will of man, but by holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Father, as we look at your word, make the book live to us. Beyond the words of a man, we pray that your Holy Spirit would teach and guide. And we ask it in Jesus' name. There are two things in this passage, two outline points. When it comes to the word of God, we must, number one, recognize the need for repetition. That's what we'll see in verses 12 through 15. Number two, verses 16 through 21, we'll see that we need to acknowledge the authority of Scripture. Number one, recognize the need for repetition. Look at this, verse 12. He says, for this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you. Now, for this reason, it would make you think, well, what came right before this? Because he's for this reason, he's, what reason? Right? So right before this, he's talking to them about their need to grow in spiritual maturity. And remember verse 11, last time said, if you do these things, what things? The things in verses five through seven, if you grow in spiritual maturity, 
if you do these things, then an entrance will be supplied to you to heaven, right? Remember verse 11? Go ahead and look at it in your Bible. Uh, For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In other words, if I apply maximum effort to growing and maturing in my spiritual life, that's going to affect my entrance into heaven. And since Peter wants that for them, he starts out in verse 12 and he says, for this reason, I will keep reminding you of things over and over again. He says, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. Peter stating his intentions to be a wise teacher and continuously remind his readers of the basic foundational truths of Christianity. He says, though you know and are established in the present truth. So he's telling them, I'm going to keep reminding you the same things over and over again, although you already know them and you're actually established in them. I'm just going to keep reminding you. They are established in the truth of Christ. They're not established in their opinions and their thoughts about Jesus, but they're established in these present truths. Very important. Basic Christian truth is what we need to be established in, and basic Christian truth is what we need to be reminded of. This guy named Alan Stein, I was reading about him from Nike. And a few years ago, well, quite a few years ago, he went and he was going to do an interview with Kobe Bryant. He was going to go and and check him out. And, uh, you know, Nike uh, was involved with like sponsoring him and so on. So he goes to, you know, check him out, see, you know, what makes this guy who he is. And so uh, he's going to go to one of his practices. And so Kobe tells him, okay, it starts at 4 (laughs) a.m. And so Alan wakes up, 3 o'clock, 3.30. You know, he thinks he's going to beat Kobe to the gym, but he already gets there, and Kobe's already there, drenched in sweat, and uh, already going at it. And Alan noted in his article that he wrote, he said that, um, he said it was, you know, neat to show up at, you know, 3.30 in the morning, but he said it was an incredibly boring day. Well, why was it boring? Well, because Kobe just shot free throws and just did the basics over and over and over again. And after the, you know, practice was over, Alan asked him, he says, why, you know, this is really boring. Why did you just shoot free throws and do, you know, crossovers and and practice just the very basic things all day? And Kobe replied, he says, why do you think I'm the best player in the world? (laughs) Because I never get bored with the basics. Maybe not a humble guy, but (laughs) he says he never gets bored with the basics, Right. Now, that, there's such a parallel with Christianity, right? That's what Peter's saying to them. You don't need some new thing all the time. What you need to do is be reminded of the basics. Now, there are those that um, are always looking for something new all the time. And their faith is based on like these constant new revelations. You know, there are whole groups of people where every time you show up, it's like I had this dream or I got this word from the Lord or this vision or this prophecy. And they're always talking about these things. And it's not that words from the Lord and prophecies are bad, but there are some cultures that are just, that's what they're looking for. And they're not really so much interested in the Bible anymore. It's just more about experience than it is about anything else. And it's like, it's almost like spiritual, like thrill seeking. It's like, we always got to have this like high geared up, like, you know, um, I had a word, you had a word. Some people, the Bible says are constantly learning, but never come to an understanding of the truth. It says that they're blown all around. They're very susceptible to false teachers because they're always, their ears are always itching, looking for this new thing all the time. 
You don't want to be one of these people that knows a lot but understands and obeys very little. In Christianity, it's not really about knowing a whole ton of stuff in order to please God. In fact, to live a life that pleases God, you really don't need to know that much. I mean, it's very easy to please God with basic knowledge. And there are those that just almost kind of have this, well, it's almost a, it's almost a perverse thing where it's like, I, I need something new all the time. He says, I just won't be negligent to remind you of these basic things that you know. You know, think about it. I mean, think about the truth of this, right? I went to christianbook.com and I typed in the word marriage just to see how many marriage books or resources they had. 10,525 search results for the word marriage typed into christianbook.com. Now, I'm sure some of these books are very helpful, but I mean, the Bible says like three things about marriage. You know, have you ever scoured the Bible for teachings on marriage? You know, if God sees fit to say, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church, I don't know how many, you know, 10,525, you know, <laughs> books need to be said. I don't need some new book, man. I just need to be reminded, Lord, you know, help me die to self and love my wife like Christ loved the church, right? Like that's, uh, that's typical. I, if you're honest, it's, it's not the new things. It's that we just need to be reminded of the things that we already know. It's not how much you know, but how well you understand what you know and how well you apply the basics. Now, there's a bit of application here. If you're a Sunday school teacher, uh, if you're a parent, if you're an elder, if you're a pastor, if you're anybody wanting to serve, it's a crucial point. Ministry is about reminding people what they already know. It really is. Um, because of the impact of sin on our minds, um, we just don't stay neutral. You know what I mean? It's like I was this morning, I, God gave me this illustration. I was heating up my espresso cup, you know, because you want your cup to be hot, you know, when you, have the, you pour the espresso into the cup. And so I run it under the hot water for a little bit. But the second I turn that hot water off, right, it's just, it starts to, you know, cool off. It's like there's no neutral. And God, that's what God was saying is like these, these basics, you just need to be reminded. You need to be poured into like these reminders of the basics all the time because when that stops, like you just start cooling, you know? And um, you just need to be reminded of these things. Dad, pastor, consistently reinforce the same truths. Now, if you knew that you were going to die soon, what would you say to those that you love? So Peter chose to put his readers into remembrance. Look at verse 13 though. He says, yes, I think it is right as long as I'm in this tent, which is just another way of saying physical body, uh, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. So the words plain meaning right there, stir up. He says, I think it's right that I would stir you up. That means, you know, to cause you to wake up out of sleep, to pay attention. He, he wants to wake up believers with these basic truths, reminding them. And he says, as long as he's, you know, in this tent. So that's talking about the physical body. It's just uh, kind of a temporary, you know, that's, that's interesting with Peter's idea about us being sojourners. Our home is in heaven, uh, that we're just, you know, here for a short time. Uh, that he would call his body a tent. Now, when he talks about what Jesus told him, notice that there at the end of the verse, he said, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. This is in John chapter 21, verses 18 through 19. I'll read them to you. He says, most assuredly, this is Jesus talking to Peter. I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. 
This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. So Jesus told Peter in his younger, you know, sort of a few years before, he told him, uh, eventually there's going to come a time where people carry you off where you don't want to go. And he told him, you know, essentially that he, that he was going to die. So Peter, you know, he knows he's going to die. He knows it's coming soon. And actually he was martyred in 67 AD, 68-ish. This book was written about 66 AD. So these are his dying words. I think it's interesting to hear what people say on their deathbed, right? I've been watching these videos. There's a YouTube channel where this guy goes around and he talks to people that are just like on the doorstep, you know, and he's like, uh, what's some advice that you have? And it's a really interesting YouTube channel to hear people's last sort of words. His choice was to put the people that he loved in remembrance. Again, there's great application for a parent right there or anybody else that's, you know, caring about people and discipling them. Verse 15, moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. So Peter was working diligently to complete this letter. And so they would always have this reminder of these things. It's interesting that that's what he chose to do with his remaining time. I've been reading this book called 4,000 Weeks. It's about time management. And the average human lives 4,000 weeks. It's pretty interesting. The author of the book, he went and he interviewed his friends beforehand. And he said, how, how many weeks do you think we live? You know, just asking them random questions. And a lot of them, one of them said 100,000 weeks, you know, and just that's what the natural inclination was for that person. But actually, the average human lives 4,000 weeks. And, uh, uh, you know, we're all kind of in that situation, although Peter knew his death was right around the corner. We're, we all know that we'll die, right? So um, how do you use your time? What are you doing with your time? What are you doing with your words? Now, <clears throat> we need to recognize the need for repetition of the basic truths. That's that first point. Let's look at the second point here. Acknowledge the authority of Scripture. Verse 16, he says this, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So Peter is saying here, the message that he and the apostles had been proclaiming regarding God's power and Jesus' second coming, he says, this isn't something that's made up. This is based on an historical event. He says he was an eyewitness to these things. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables. There were those that were attempting to discredit Peter uh, in, in that day, saying, uh, you know, that the teachings about the second coming of Christ were uh, just fables that, you know, how come this hasn't happened? If, if Jesus said he's coming again, you know, I, when's this going to happen? And they were trying to discredit him and uh, saying that his accounts were no more than like, you know, Greek or Roman mythology. You know, the world was just filled with mythology at this time. And, and so a lot of people were dismissing what the Christians were saying. And Peter's saying, no, you don't understand. I'm an eyewitness. Um, what is he talking about being an eyewitness where it says that we were eyewitnesses of his majesty? Turn over to Matthew chapter 17 in your Bible, please. Matthew chapter 17. What does he mean when he's talking about being an eyewitness? Now, while you're there in Matthew, 
we'll read the next few verses in Peter. So Isaiah, if you bring up the next slide. Uh, it says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Now in Matthew chapter 17, verse 1. It says, now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. That word transfigured is the word like metamorphosis, like a butterfly, you know, like a caterpillar turned into a butterfly, metamorpho, metamorphosis. He was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make uh, three condos up here. Uh, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. We'll just stay up here forever. While he was speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. In other words, Peter, be quiet. Listen to God. Look at Jesus. Anybody ever get told that by the Lord? <laughs> and when his disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, don't be afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Okay, it worked. <laughs> That's what he's talking about here. So you go back over to Peter. That's what Peter's saying. He says, I was on the mountain and I heard this voice and I dropped to my face. I'm an eyewitness to these things along with James and John. We were up there. This isn't some cleverly devised fable. This is a historical account of something that Peter has seen before. That's a very important thing for you to know here as a Christian today, especially as a young person, because when you're a young Christian, you know, especially you go away to college, you know, you start getting around friends that don't necessarily didn't grow up in church. They don't believe like you believe. And they will say stuff like, oh, the Bible's based, you know, Jesus is like a mythology type of like the God of, you know, Horus, you know. The, and all these other mythologies, it's just all one big mythology. The, the movie Zeitgeist really gets to that. Uh, Bart Ehrman, I don't know if you guys are familiar with him, or Da Vinci Code, uh, Dan Brown, number, you know, like a best-selling book, discrediting the historical accuracy and the eyewitness element of the Gospels, of the Bible. As a Christian, I am not wishful thinking uh, about some cleverly made-up story. My faith is based on historical events that can be verified and checked into. Now, as a Christian, I think you're wise to do that. I think you should. I think you should go home and say, is there any evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And I think you should, you know, get out Dr. Google and start, you know, uh, taking a look and see what you come up with. There's actually very compelling evidence. There's historical evidence that Christianity is based on. It's based on events that can be researched. That's what Peter's saying. When you're standing against false teaching, it's very helpful to understand that Christianity is rooted in objective, verifiable truth. And uh, if you know that, if you have that, um, you know, it helps you to stand. It helps you to be a great witness, especially in a world uh, that's just becoming increasingly hostile to Christianity. 
No, he says, we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were here with him on the holy mountain. Mount Hermon is typically looked at as the spot that this happened. You can Google that as well and kind of get your mind there in northern Israel. Um, kind of a neat thing. So Peter suggested that, you know, the false teachers who rejected the majesty, the second coming of Christ, lacked credibility since they did not witness the kingdom and glory of Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration experienced by him, James, and John. Now, verse 19, he says, and, we, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. Where he says, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed. He's saying, we were on the Mount of Transfiguration. We saw Jesus, we saw Moses, we saw Elijah. We saw Jesus in his glorified state. In other words, how he will appear in eternity. And he says, the prophetic word, what he's talking about is the, the prophecies in the Old Testament about Christ, that he is the Messiah, that Jesus would be the Messiah. Peter looks at this situation and says, the prophetic word is confirmed. That voice, that experience, that confirmed it, that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Christ. Verse 19 there, the beginning, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed. Let me give you a couple of other translations of that. If you have a Bible app, you can check them out too. The King James version of this, here's how it reads. This might be a little more accurate to the Greek text. It reads like this. We also have a more sure word of prophecy. A more sure word of prophecy. Let me read you Kenneth Wiest, who's the Greek scholar. I just love Kenneth Wiest, Greek translation. Um, here's his rendition, his translation of this. This would follow the literal Greek, you know, it's a rendering of it. And we have the prophetic word as a surer foundation. Now, Peter's saying we had this experience, but... We have the word of God, the prophetic word that is a surer, more sure foundation. That's pretty interesting. If somebody was to ask you today, say, which would you trade for? The word of God or a Mount of Transfiguration experience where you saw God in his glory? Well, Peter says we have a more sure word of prophecy. Why does he choose the word and say it's more sure than an experience? Well... The Bible's pretty clear that even if people, remember in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus sees, even if people, you know, see that, you know, the Son of Man rose from the dead, they won't believe, right? Remember that in Luke, where he's talking to Lazarus, he goes down into, you know, Hades and all that stuff, and he says, oh, just send my brothers back there, you know, send somebody back to witness to him. He goes, even if they see somebody rise from the dead, they won't believe. Uh, signs and miracles and wonders and healings and supernatural events and ecstatic experiences and all these things, they do not produce solid believers. They just don't. Those things fade out. You say, how can you say that with such authority? Well, my own personal experience, I kind of used to be a, an experience seeker. Um, but just the experience of Israel themselves, right? When you read the Old Testament, I mean, has anybody seen as many miracles, signs, Wonders, bread from heaven, Red Sea, Exodus, the ground opening, swallowing up Korah. Has anybody seen as many miracles, signs and wonders as Israel? Nobody. Their shoes didn't even wear out for 40 years. You'd think you would have looked down at some point and been like, man, these are some good Birkenstocks, bro. You know. But guess what? Hebrews 3.19, it says this. 
So we see that they, talking about Israel, could not enter into the promised land. Why? Because of unbelief. So they'd seen more miracles and signs and wonders and supernatural experiences and all this other stuff than anybody, but they could not enter the promised land because of unbelief. The same thing holds true today. The problem with experiences is that they fade out. When you have an experience with the Lord, you start talking yourself out of it even being from the Lord eventually. I mean, even legitimate experiences, they fade, you know? You've seen some things with the Lord. You can think about it, your history, you know, walking with Christ and, and the experiences, they just, you know, it reminds me of 4th of July, right? That's just a, was a magical time always for me as a kid growing up in Clear Lake, you know, the, the fireworks. And uh, I'd like to go there and be in the park. So many people in town. And when the fireworks come, they're so amazing. They're so bright that all you can see, right, are the vivid colors of... Uh, my mom used to tell me that was Tina Turner's hair. <laughs> you remember that stuff? <laughs> remember, remember when she used to be on the... Uh, the I mean, MTV all the time. <laughs> so you go and you see the fireworks, right? And they're so bright that that's all you can see. But right after the flash, then you see the smoke linger for a little bit, and that sort of fades out. But when all the boats pull back into the docks and everything quiets down and the carnival shuts down for the night, then you can see the stars again. And the stars are this constant light versus this flash that comes and fades and so what I think Peter's saying is, he's, I'd rather see you be a constant shining light than one of these things that just comes and flashes and fades out, which definitely characterizes many signs and wonder seekers. When your Christianity is based on the miraculous, you become very exhausted, you become very guilty. Or you just start lying. It just doesn't produce solid Christians. So Peter says, there's a more sure thing to base your life on. I really want to warn you that there is a movement. I just want to make this one more comment on this. There's a movement today that is trying to say that the miraculous is normal, everyday life for a Christian. Now, if you're wondering why your Christian life isn't like that, you can pay $6,000 to go to their supernatural school of ministry and they will teach you how to activate this, you know? And that's why Peter is telling people that are in danger of getting infiltrated by false teachers, even though I had this experience on the mountain, I'm gonna tell you there's something that's more sure than that that you need to be con you know, concerned about. And you need to be concerned about the word of God and its authority in your life. Now, look what he says there. He goes uh, back in there. He says, which you do well to heed. You see that there? That's the exhortation of the passage. He says, you do well to pay attention to prophecy, to pay attention to the Bible. You know, there are some people that shy away from the subject of prophecy, but um, there were actually, uh, you know, 300 or so prophecies fulfilled in the first coming of Christ. 300 predictions about Jesus Christ, where he would be born, how he would die, how he looks. 300. Nostradamus got a few things sort of, kind of, maybe right, and everybody like freaks out about him. He's a prophet. The Bible made 300 predictions that were fulfilled to the T 
about the first coming of Christ and be, oh, that's interesting. It was written by man. Really? <laughs> you have not done your homework. <laughs> now, you do well to heed this. The way to get meaning out of the word of God is to heed it, to pay attention to it, to let it become the very food of your life. It's a good thing to do, too, because Matthew 24, 24 says, false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders um, to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Isn't that something? What a warning that Jesus gives. He says there will be false prophets that will do great signs and wonders to deceive, even possible, if it's possible, even the elect. That's scary. Well, that ministry's got to be valid. Look at all the stuff happening there. Look at all the supernatural. Well, better be careful, man. I mean, are they contradicting the word of God? He says this, he goes on and says, as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. He says that this word of God is a light that shines in a dark place, literally a murky place. And I'm telling you, the world is getting a little more murky all the time, you know, especially with social media. It's like, it's just, I mean, there's so many people giving so much advice, saying so many things that they think life is about that like everybody, you know, is getting inundated with all these different philosophies of man. You know what I mean? The number one podcaster. You guys probably know his name. I'm not going to say who he is. MMA guy. I'll give you a bunch of clues. Everybody kind of looks up to this dude and thinks he's just such a smart guy. The guy thinks that the Bible was written by a dude on a mushroom trip, you know? Like, you know, the Bible says that when they reject the truth of the Lord, that they get given over to just foolishness. They'll believe anything. When you reject Jesus Christ, you will be susceptible to believe anything, you know, the most foolish stuff, ancient aliens, you know, like all this different stuff is appealing to you. When you're not eating good, healthy food, you love to woof down the junk food, you know? So when the light, he says, this light shines in a dark place until the morning star rises in your hearts. What he's talking about there is eventually Jesus will come. You'll see Jesus face to face. He's the morning star. Book of Revelation calls him that as well. And at that point, you're not going to need the word of God because the word the made flesh, you know, Jesus Christ himself is going to be right there face to face, you know, and I, that's, I'm looking forward to that day because this is murky right now. You know what I mean? But thank God we have the light. Isn't that true? The darker your life gets, you know, maybe in relationship with kids, you know, at your job, you know what I mean? In your marriage, when things are dark, when things are dark at school, you know, and people in the world, you open the newspaper, aren't you just, doesn't the light just shine brighter, the light of the word of God? Is it precious to you? Is the word of God precious to you? Do you echo what the psalmist says? Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a guide to my path. The word of God illuminates and brings light into the darkness. Verse 20, but he says, knowing this first, now he's talking about the word of God, knowing this, uh, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. What we have here is one of the few but clearest declarations of the doctrine of what theologians would call the inspiration of scripture. 
I'm going to read to you a definition of this doctrine by a guy named Charles Ryrie. I highly commend his book, Basic Theology, uh, to you. And let me give you his definition of the inspiration of Scripture. It says, inspiration is that mysterious process by which the divine author utilized the human writer using his personality and literary style to produce divinely authoritative and inerrant literature. Like, can I read it again? It says, inspiration is that mysterious process by which the divine author used the human writer using his personality and literary style to produce divinely authoritative and inerrant literature. So God used man to write infallible words. People will say, well, I don't believe the Bible. It's written by man. Say, it is written by man superintended by the Holy Spirit. That's what the passage says right here. Now, where it says that in that definition, uh, using his personality and literary style, what he's getting at, and I think we need to make this distinction, is this isn't what you would call automatic writing. You know, I don't know what your experience is with witchcraft or the occult, but there's this thing called automatic writing that people are into where they'll get themselves into like sort of a trance and then they'll just pick up the pen and, you know, automatic writing. I mean, Carl Jung, the great, you know, the, one of the renowned uh, psychiatrists, all kinds of different people are into this automatic writing. Um, essentially, it just, I don't know what came over me. And then my pen just, and I woke up and, you know, and, and there's a lot of people, people would say that's what, how they wrote their songs. You know, it's a good gimmick. Um, here's one you might be familiar with, Jesus Calling, Sarah Young. She says that that's how she wrote Jesus Calling. And it's actually Jesus speaking through her. Uh, to you. And I think that's pretty, you know, that should send a red flag when somebody says, I went into this sort of trance sort of thing and picked up the pen and just wrote the very words of Jesus. By the way, in the intro of that book, Jesus Calling, which has been edited now in these new versions, but some people still have the older ones. You can Google this stuff and check it out. She wrote why she wrote Jesus Calling and got into this automatic writing sort of thing, and it was because she was bored with the Bible. She, she wouldn't like to hang out with Kobe and do the basics, would she? Right? It's just boring. You know, I don't know. So I, I'm more into these experiences where I turn myself over to the spiritual realm and, you know. Interesting, you know, I went to a, a Lifeway bookstore one time to go just check around. I like bookstores. And like, dude, every shelf in that place had the shack and Jesus Calling on it. Like almost every shelf. Jesus Calling for kids. Jesus Calling for the morning. Jesus Calling for the evening. Jesus Calling for your pets. Jesus Calling for, you know, breakfast. You know, and it was just like, why is this so? Because she resonates with a whole group of people that are also bored with the Bible that don't want to mine it out themselves. And they just, you know, they like, you know, that's, that's an assumption. That's my opinion. You can take it for what it's worth. Not much. <laughs> the word of God, that's what's worth something, right? Now, he says, knowing this first, no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. Now, in other words, he's saying, um, if somebody comes along to you and says, I've got a private interpretation of the Bible that nobody else knows about, um, you know, you should really be like, you know, that's kind of weird. Here's a good principle for interpreting the Bible. It's easy. It rhymes. If it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. 
right? They, they teach, that's, this is seminary level Bible equipping we're getting right now. You get these little statements, you know? If it's new, it's not true. If it's true, it's not new. Even if you're watching the Sid Roth show, and, uh, you know, Isaiah Saldivar comes on or, uh, you know, Andrew Womack or, you know, or any of these people. And they say, I have discovered the 10 secrets of breakthrough prayer, you know, or Jonathan Kahn with his whole book where he misquotes and twists the Old Testament scriptures and tries to apply them to Christians. And then he'll sell you a $69.99 DVD set to tell you, you know, all of these things that God has revealed just for him, you know. That stuff, man, Peter's saying right here, you know, there's no private interpretation. You didn't get some secret. And even if you did, like, and you're trying to make money off of it, you know, it's like there's a problem with that. The 10 DVD set to unlocking your prophetic gift in 2024. Prophecy never came by the will of man, is what it says there. Now, when people make predictions and they don't come true, like that did come from the will of man. That came from man's imagination. It's kind of a funny thing if you want to do this sometime. Look up how many predictions about Trump being in office two consecutive terms came from Bethel, from Chris Vallotton, and all these different people. They made all these predictions about Trump, and then every one of them fell flat. Uh, you remember Harold Camping? Does anybody remember him? Um, yeah, the, the end of the world cult. Like this guy two times in 2011 said the world was going to end. That didn't happen the first time. But he said, oh, that was, that was, I was wrong about that. It's happening at another date. And those dates just came and went. And, uh, you know, stuff isn't new. It's interesting that Peter's warning about this stuff all the way back in 67 AD, 65 AD. And today we just are like steeped in it. Bizarre. He says, but holy men spoke as they were moved by the spirit. That word spirit or moved there is, it's, Luke uses the word in the book of Acts for uh, blowing a ship. It's like, it's actually the literal rendering would be they were born along, born along. So you're saying that's how scripture is written. That's how prophecy was written is by God. Holy men of God spoke or they wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now, in conclusion here, Peter says to his readers and to us that you got to know this prophecy sourced in God. It's infallible. It's authoritative. It's eternal. We need reminders of the basic truths of God. I want to conclude with this one thought. As a Christian, um, you don't want to be a sort of Christian that, you know, your faith is like based on what you think about Jesus. You want your faith to be based on the authoritative word of God, right? Because you can't say, you really can't say anything about Jesus with any authority unless you can point to like verse and chapter, you know that you know that God said this, right? That's why it's so important. I don't know about you, but I, I just, I need to know what God said, you know? And you run into a lot of Christians that just don't, they just don't take that very seriously and they don't understand the authority of the word of God. And um, I just really want to encourage, I think 2024 is, is a year to examine um, the word authority and who or what has authority over your life today. You know, because if, if God moved holy men along to write the scriptures um, and those are the words of God, and if that's what you claim to believe as a Christian, then those words of God have authority over your life. And if those words of God have authority over your life, then that means that you and I live in, in a way which is, which is surrendered to these things, surrendered to these teachings. And it's, you know, I, I think that that's just something that really needs to be reminded, you know, Christians really need to be reminded of. Of course, we are, we are children of God by His grace, and we're saved by grace through faith. And it's not a result of our works, um, but it's His grace and mercy given to us 
And then he calls us in to follow him. Let me read you a verse here and we'll, we'll stop here. Luke 9, 23. This is Jesus talking to a group of people and he's, and he's telling them what it means to come and follow him. And he says, uh, Luke 9, 23, then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. It begins with saying, let him deny himself. And, and I think what he's getting at there is all humans are born with this, like, God, God has given you the freedom essentially to kind of determine what you're going to do with your life, right? I mean, he's given you a will. And when Jesus said, let him deny himself, I think, I think what he's saying is that we need to take that ability that we have, that ability to make up our own mind about something, and we need to surrender it to his authority. That's what it means to be a Christian, you know, she's actually talking today back there. It's, it's weird how these things work, work out, but she's teaching in James about how faith without works is dead, right? You know the passage? Um, and James goes, look, you show me, your, you know, he says, I'll show you my faith by my works. In other words, I say I'm a Christian and I believe, but you, you don't, don't take my word for it. Look at how I live and you'll see it's proven. It's a matter of authority. You know, and that's, that's what we're thinking about when we're, when we're going through a passage like this. And Peter says, these are the words of God. These are the words of God. I need to examine my heart. I mean, do I, do I look at the Bible as the very word of God that has authority over my life? You know, people will make fun of Christians today and they'll say, oh, those, those silly Christians that are Bible Christians, they say, you know, they say things like, the word of God says it, so that settles it. Well, you know, yeah, that, that's pretty much how it is, you know. Because there's a couple of choices. It's like either the word of God has authority over my life or else I do, one or the other. And I really personally can't be trusted, to be honest. I mean, I, I can more now than ever. But, you know, what I did with my life until I met Christ, you could look at my life and say, that dude does not know much about living, you know. Because, I mean, look what he's done with his life, you know. <laughs> I'm just being honest, you know. So I'm either my own authority or I surrender my authority to Christ, you know. And I'm so grateful for that. Oh, God, thank you. Thank you that you've given me a way to live. Thank you that you've just saved me from being a bonehead, you know. Still a bonehead, but I mean, you know, still a knucklehead, right? But man, oh man, he saves you. He gives you. He, he, he looked at the people with compassion as sheep without a shepherd. I need a shepherd. I need a shepherd. That religion stuff, it's just a crutch. You bet it is. How's your crutch working? Does that keep you up? How's it get you through the night? How's it do when somebody dies? How's it do when you lose your job? Yeah, I need a crutch. I need a shepherd. I need a savior. It's the smartest thing anybody could ever do is surrender their authority to the one who knows all things. Let's ask him to help us do that. Yeah. Father, thank you.